Welcome to Mem Cuts to the Chase. I'm your host, Guy Hazelman. In our last podcast, we discussed the impact inflation is having on emerging market economies. Today's topic, we'll also look at emerging markets, but we'll focus on the political landscape with special attention to LATAM's current political climate. Our guest today is Tom Smith, an emerging market portfolio manager at MetLife Investment Management. Tom lived in South America for over 15 years where he witnessed significant changes firsthand. His frequent conversations with friends and MIM research analysts and PMs and other colleagues around the world who have their boots on the ground continue to provide him with unique and insightful perspective. Tom is part of a four-person EM portfolio management team with, which manages $16.5 billion in emerging market assets. Welcome, Tom. Hey, Guy. Thanks for having me. Tom, as a logical place to begin, why don't you tell us a bit about your time living in South America? Well, the best place to start is in college when I studied two semesters abroad in the Dominican Republic. That was back in the early 90s, and I liked being abroad so much that in 1999, I decided to move more permanently to South America, where I spent four years living in Argentina and 10 years in Chile. It was when I was in Argentina that I went to work in MetLife's Latin American Investments Office as a sovereign analyst covering the Latin American region. And that, as you can imagine, was a very cool job. I got to travel all over, and I've been to pretty much every Latin American country that that MetLife invests in, probably eight times on average. It sounds like it was an exciting journey and certainly a great foundation for you personally and professionally. Can you describe some of the changes that you witnessed and how they help you today as an EM portfolio manager? I I still do draw on all those early experiences and and the contacts I made quite regularly. Um, And that was a fascinating time to be working in the region. There was a lot going on. Really, if if you look at the whole 1994 through 2002 period, that was a rough patch with pretty big crises in the, in the region and several countries. Um, so I caught the tail end of that starting in 1999, and I got to see crisis play out firsthand in Argentina, where I was living, and Brazil, where I was traveling to quite often. Um, but that period of darkness was followed up by a golden decade, if I may, from 2003 until 2013, when Latin America really boomed. China was growing fast and becoming more relevant to the global economy and to Latin America in particular. And at the same time, most of the large Latin American countries were becoming more committed to good macroeconomic policy. So along with that, right, good policy plus China came upward ratings migration and lots of foreign investment. So Latin American countries were growing at 5 to 7%, and you could really see it. There were visible changes wherever you went, significant infrastructure build out, airports, roads, ports, shopping centers, supermarkets, office buildings, and then a lot of things you didn't see, but we knew were happening because we were involved you know, in, the, in the financing, things like power and sanitation infrastructure, um, also investment in world-class pulp mills, mining, energy, et cetera. Sometimes I brag with the people on the team that I got to see five Latin American sovereigns become investment grade during that period. Colombia, Panama, Brazil, Uruguay, Peru. Um, Together, they're just over 40% of regional GDP. 
The TAM had an incredible decade of economic success, as you mentioned, but it also has what I would call an interesting history of shifting political winds, something that you know quite well. Could you provide a quick overview and then some perspective on the recent political shifts to the left? And I'm specifically thinking in Mexico, Chile, Peru, and I guess we'll know soon enough, but possibly in Brazil as well. Sure. And, and after the, the glowing historical account that I just gave, it is important to balance it out. Um, and let's be honest, all has not been well with the capitalist model in Latin America. We have seen a move left in several countries since 2018, either in the streets, like in Chile and Colombia that saw massive riots at the end of 2019, or in the ballot box like Mexico in 2018 and Peru and Chile during 2021. And we could see new leftist governments by the end of 2022 in both Colombia and Brazil, as the left is polling well in each of those countries. I always find it fascinating when political pivots occur quickly. Why do you think this shift to the left is happening now? Great question. And I have a few different perspectives on this. First, the golden decade that I mentioned before, unfortunately, faded into the tapering commodity down cycle of 2014 to 2016. And then growth was just slow to come back. And then we had the pandemic. And as a sovereign analyst looking at macro data, we still observed what we would call a stable economic environment for Latin America. But in retrospect, all of those micro frustrations were setting the stage for, for rising frustration overall. And if you think about it through an ESG lens, the market-friendly governments that brought these countries to investment grade had a ton of focus on the G, right? Governance, macro policy, inflation control, reducing external vulnerability, reducing debt, things like that. But not enough focus on S, social realities like healthcare, education, pension adequacy, inequality. So while poverty rates did come down and people were generally better off, there was still a huge wealth gap and people felt that. Are you saying the political shift to the left is or should be a concern for markets? Maybe the better question is, how has the performance been in countries where the left, quote unquote, is already in power? Well, most would agree that the extreme left has performed poorly. And as examples, you can look at the economic state of Venezuela or Argentina, Bolivia, Ecuador, although Ecuador now has a reformist government that we are optimistic about. But in those places, we've seen economic policies that are more interventionist, they're more centralized, they're less welcoming of private capital, and they're less open on trade. So in general, yes, those are policies that are concerning, I would say. But the left should not be thought generically as having done a bad job, right? There are many successful left-leaning democracies in the world. Um, in the developed world, we have Western Europe, and then the emerging world, Eastern Europe, and even Uruguay and Latin America has had, has had a good track record. In fact, I think it's arguable that a left-heavy agenda is more desirable in Latin America to address some of these underserved social realities like healthcare and education. There needs to be more focus in Latin America and, and other emerging markets for that matter because they are behind and they need to catch up. Ideally, Latin American countries can strike a balance 
between increasing social investment and maintaining macroeconomic stability. And this is where the Venezuelas and Argentinas have gone dramatically wrong. Um, and, and something I'm encouraged about, actually, is that if you listen to leftist leaders throughout the region, they, they do state publicly that those are both models to avoid. And if I can make one final point, there are a lot of countries in the region that have had leftist leadership that turned out to be very responsible. For instance, during the golden decade, if I can go back there one more time, three of the countries that were upgraded to investment grade had leftist governments in place that, in my opinion, were critical to the process. Panama, Uruguay, and Brazil. And around the same time, Chile and Peru, which were already investment grade, elected leftist governments, but neither of those either altered the policy path or threatened stability in any meaningful way. I thought that was a very interesting and insightful answer. I guess now I'd like to know where's this going? What's your vision for the region for the next, say, three to five years? Well, the pendulum has clearly shifted. Latin American citizens are demanding a more defined social agenda, and leaders are being elected to make that happen. There will be, in our opinion, greater fiscal outlays and probably higher taxes, neither of which is credit positive, especially when you take into consideration the pandemic where sovereign leverage took a big step higher in every country and fiscal deficits are still running well above trend. So, what we're likely to see is more ratings pressure in places like Chile, Mexico, Peru, Panama. But the buffers, I'd say, in, in most places are pretty good. Chile, which used to be a double A rated credit, is still single A. And we believe it may fall to triple B, but not realistically before late 2023 or 2024, in our opinion. And, and Peru and Mexico may slide a notch or two, but we think they're going to remain in the triple B category. In the meantime, Brazil and Colombia, which are both currently double B, aren't likely to move much from current ratings. It's Panama that we think has the highest probability of a meaningful downgrade to bull investment grade, and we put that somewhere around 30% over the next 18 months. And longer term, our expectation is for Latin America to come out of this period looking more European. And what I mean by that is that the, the political pendulum should settle somewhere left of center um, and, and with more of a social democrat feel. Despite the political pendulum, as you call it, there's still much to like about EM. And I'm thinking in terms of rich commodity resources and solid demographics. How do you and your team view these aspects and other such uh, attractive attributes? We try to look past the noise and keep in mind the real strengths of the region, right? Latin America has a lot going for it. And if you just start with the very basics, economics 101, factors of production, right? Land, labor, capital. Latin America has it all. Very strong natural resource base, especially in South America, and generally young working populations that, in our opinion, are not ideologically opposed to capitalism or to pro-market economic policies. And what we've learned in recent years is that those policies have to be balanced to ensure that growth is socially equitable. So that's what we're hoping they get right. Another strength is the corporate sector. And while we are calling for softer sovereign ratings, fundamentals and EM corporates are coming out of the pandemic as strong as ever with really strong cash flow and profit margins, um, leverage metrics that are at the lows of the past 15 years, 
So despite the sovereign risks in Latin America, we really like Latin American corporate issuers in particular. This is a space we've been deeply involved in for over 20 years, and we've seen just how conservative most of the management teams are throughout the cycle. And the final point is on value, and, and we like value in Latin America. We think that um, even though there will be some gradual ratings deterioration in several countries, a lot of the risk is already priced in. So Chile, that I mentioned before, is, is already trading like a triple B two years before time. And Mexico, which we don't see falling from triple B, is, is trading about 50 basis points wide to a lot of its triple B peers. Well, with that in mind, Tom, what are some of the other countries in the EEM sector overall that we should be keeping an eye on? And how about countries outside of LATAM, particularly with respect to potential political events there? Well, over the past six months or so, the, the vast majority of the news flow has been coming out of Latin America. Um, but there are other interesting stories that we are focused on, um, and I'll talk about those. But before I depart Latin America, we didn't talk much about Argentina. And just to flag it for this audience, there is some expectation about progress with a new IMF agreement and long-term policy commitments, um, but there's nothing firm yet from Argentina. Turkey is a very interesting country. Um, this is a place with really great potential. It was a triple B country. Now it's single B. Uh, it, it's fallen quite a few notches just over the past five years. We're taking a wait and see approach for now, but we are you know, kind of cautiously optimistic on the longer term prospects as there could be a very interesting longer term investment potential here if, if the policies can be adjusted to restore confidence. High yield sovereigns in Middle East and Africa, I think I'm just going to put that in a bucket and say that, look, these are cheap in the current macro environment. Um, there's been a lot of risk shunning based on Fed policy tightening and, and where we are in the recovery and global inflation and things like that. But there are a lot of interesting stories here that we're comfortable with, especially with high oil prices. Um, countries that benefit directly from that, like Angola, Oman, Gabon, and then other stories like Ivory Coast and Egypt that we like quite a bit. And the last thematic topic I want to discuss is distressed stories that are playing out. Um, there's three of them. First, Zambia, they've already defaulted on their debt, and we probably will see some debt restructuring happening during 2022. Sri Lanka, which hasn't defaulted yet, but is priced as if it's going to default in the same boat as Zambia, we probably should see some restructuring news this year. And then El Salvador should be able to avoid default if they can come to terms with the IMF sometime this year. But all three of those assets are trading at distressed levels. That was a great world tour and recap. Uh, let me ask you one final question. How does speaking frequently with your friends and MIM colleagues who live locally help you navigate EM and make you a better portfolio manager? Well, I like the way you said that because my colleagues are my friends and we do talk quite a bit. Um, and, and just a very high level, we cover sovereigns and corporates in over 70 countries across the world. And, and I can assure you that something is always happening in the emerging markets. So having our friends and colleagues in Asia and Europe and Latin America is a tremendous benefit to us. And the real advantage is that our credit research analysts can react to the news flow in their own region in real time. That means that when impactful news comes out, 
regarding an issuer in Turkey or Indonesia or wherever it may be. By the time the sun rises in New York, our analysts will have already reviewed the facts, formed a view, and prepared a recommendation. Away from that, our colleagues in the regional offices are really well connected culturally with their regions and often have valuable perspectives as news breaks. This is something we key into, especially during elections. And that color was particularly insightful during the social disruption in 2019 in Hong Kong, and then again in Latin America, and then again throughout the pandemic. Tom, that's a great place to stop. It's been a very interesting conversation. We look forward to speaking with you again and your emerging market colleagues in upcoming episodes. Appreciate your insights into this really interesting portion of the emerging market universe. As you said, there never seems to be a dull moment in the asset class, and political news only seems to add to that excitement. Thank you for your time today. Thank you. It is not MetLife Investment Management's intention to provide, and you may not rely on this podcast as providing, a recommendation with respect to any particular investment strategy or investment. The information and opinions presented or contained in this podcast are provided as of the date it was published.